Well, good morning. If I haven't met yet, my name's Hans. It is great to see you all here. Just uh, two very quick things before we jump into the sermon. You may have seen, I don't know if you have, they, they can be a bit hard to miss, two shipping containers. Did anyone see those? Yeah, a few, a few of you guys. Okay, so let me t- tell you what, what's happening there. Um, we're part of a group called the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. There is a, another church in Sydney, a Tongan Fellowship, um, and you, you've probably heard of the disaster that ha- happened over in Tonga. Um, this church uh, got together, raised a bunch of money, and put it all into clothing and all this kind of thing, filled 44-gallon drums, uh, filled with uh, aid and relief agency stuff, and they've packed those um, shipping containers. They just didn't have somewhere to put it. So um, Al Stewart, who is the director of FIEC, called me and said, can they put it in our car park? Um, I said, yes, they can. So that's why it's there. Tomorrow, I'll be sending an email out to all of you guys because I know you guys will want to contribute and you can contribute financially and we'll give you the link for that. So that's what's happening. So I know that some of us uh, had to wait for a bunch of months that was kind of dug up by the trucks and I I apologize for that. Uh, But it's all to a great cause. The other thing is... um, Every, every uh, sermon that, that, uh, that I do, I give a book away. And so uh, this is probably my top, in my top three favourite Christian books. It's a book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And if you want a book that helps you understand the God of the Bible, I think this is one of the main books that, that you could read. So The Holiness of God, it's free to the first person who asked me about it. I'm just going to put that there. So ask me about it after church. You can have that. It's a great book. So I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to jump in into God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, in our hearing of your Word today, we want to glorify you. We want to put aside all the things that could be bothering us today or may take our focus away from you. So by your spirit, I pray that you would help us do that. Lord, give us, would you be so gracious as to give us minds and hearts that are not just open to what you say to us this morning, but desperate to hear from you. Lord, help us to be desperate to be so conformed to the image of your Son. Help us to be desperate this morning to hear from you and to be changed. So we pray that your Spirit would change us, that as we encounter the Lord Jesus in your Word, may that encounter change us, change us to love you more and to want to live our lives to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read two different and very interesting responses to Jesus this week. One was uh, in, in a book about preaching. And, uh, and uh, he told the, the author told a story about getting a knock on the door one night when he was in pastoral ministry. And there was a, a man at his front door in tears. And the pastor invited him in. And the the man started talking through the sobs and through the tears about what he did. He said he he worked for a company that dealt in pornography. And he came to the realisation that what he was doing was absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. 
but everything, his whole livelihood was tied up in his work. His, his retirement plan was tied up in his work. He was paying for his children's education out of his work. He had a mortgage that was funded by his work and he didn't know what to do because he had to keep working to support uh, his lifestyle, but he knew it was wrong. And so he asked the pastor, he said, if I give 20% of what I earn to the church, for the rest of my life, would Jesus accept me? There was another response to Jesus I read this week, and it was from Elon Musk. Elon Musk, the great entrepreneur, the great businessman, he had an interview with the Babylon Bee, which is kind of like a Christian um, satire webpage. And at the end of the interview, the interviewer said to him this, We were wondering if you could do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, personal Lord and Saviour. It's a quick prayer. Musk sat stunned for a few seconds. Then he responded, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There's some great wisdom in the teachings of Jesus and I agree with those teachings. He continued, things like turn the other cheek are very important as opposed to an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye leaves everyone blind, Musk said. Forgiveness is important, and treating people as you wish to be treated. Love thy neighbour as thyself. But hey, if Jesus is saving people, I mean, I wouldn't stand in his way, Musk added. Sure, I'll be saved. Why not? I wonder, as you hear those two responses to Jesus, what, what you think. The, the pornographer who wanted to give 20% of the rest of his life's earnings to the church so he will be accepted by Jesus. Or Musk, who is this great, wealthy, powerful man who glibly says, sure, I'll give my life to Jesus, like it doesn't cost anything. When I read those, when I read those two things and I read the passage that we're looking at this morning, I was thinking... I wonder how you've gone at responding to Jesus. Have you responded to Jesus as he would want you to respond? Or how have you responded to Jesus? Maybe it's something, you're giving Jesus something that you can easily give away, like the pornography did with 20% of his income. Or maybe you have just come to Jesus quite glibly. But, but, but here's my fear as I ask the question about how you guys respond. My, my fear is that so many of us here can say, well, hands, I responded to Jesus. In fact, I gave, gave my life to him back in 1967 or 1987 or 1997 or whenever, right? And so I have responded to Jesus. But here's the problem. Just like being married, we have to act married every day. Responding to Jesus is not just a one-time event. Every day we've got to make the choice to respond to Jesus rightly. How are you responding to Jesus in your life right now? How are you going to respond to Jesus this week? As I said, at the heart of this passage is, uh, is a question, how are we meant to respond to Jesus? And we're going to see three things from this passage. The first is we're going to see a great miracle. Second, a great response. And thirdly, a great Saviour and Lord. A great miracle, a great response, a great Saviour and Lord. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, please grab it open to uh, Luke 5. 
uh, because I know it's up on the screen, but it'd be great to also have it in front of you as we look at this passage. Let's have a look at a great miracle. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Uh, and so here you see this around Jesus. He's up in the north of Israel, not far from Cana, as we saw him turn water into wine at Cana. He's in the same general region. And and he's got this great crowd around him. And what are they listening to? They're listening to, says, the word of God. What Luke is trying to say here is that at the very least, there is something about Jesus. He's not just a, a normal teacher. No, God is moving powerfully through his words. But more than that, I think Luke is trying to say, hey, I want want to hip you to something. This is God speaking. This is God speaking. And yet because of the crowd, Jesus needs to do something. He he goes in verse 2. He sat at the water's edge. Sorry, he sat at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were fishing, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he's out there, he is teaching people from the boat and then he asked to do Simon to do something weird. Have a look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, here's what you've got to realise about Jesus. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter And here he is telling fishermen what to do, how to fish, where to fish. And and this is is a bit weird, just a little bit weird. And and there's certain things within what he asks that make it even stranger. Here's the first thing. Do you see where he's asking them to fish from? He says, put out in deep water. Now, one of the things that the historians and commentators tell us is, is that um, in, the, in the Sea of Galilee around this time, you would fish on, in deep water at night because you would use some nets that in the middle of the day, fish would be able to see and they would, they would scram from, right? And so Jesus is saying, go to a part of the lake that you're only meant to fish at night. This is absolutely ridiculous. And he's a carpenter and he's telling a bunch of fishermen how to fish. It, it reminds me one time of, uh, I was sitting down in the state of origin. I don't like football that much, but I was watching State of Origin. And uh, I was watching it with, with a, a friend of mine, and uh, Kate and uh, his wife are really good friends. That means him and I are friends too. And so we're watching this, we're watching the State of Origin, right? I didn't know anyone on the field because I don't really follow rugby league, but he did, right? And he was yelling at the TV, saying, oh, you idiot, you dropped the ball. If I was there, I would have you know, done this, I would have kicked the ball like this, I would have dodged that tackle. I would, oh, he missed the tackle, I can't. If I was there, I would pull him off and I would tell him, hey, you should have got that tackle, all this kind of stuff. And then I just turned to him and I looked at him and let's just say, he didn't look like the most athletic guy in the world. And I just said, hey, um, you seem to really like rugby league. You, you played it a lot, obviously. And he said, oh, no, no, I've never played. I've never played rugby league. In fact, I don't like sport at all. I found that was weird that here is a guy who's not really athletically gifted, who doesn't like sport, wants to, te- wants to go up to guys who are playing at the peak of their game and say, hey, this is how you should do, do your job. Here is Jesus the carpenter 
coming up to a bunch of fishermen, telling them how to do their job. And this is a bit crazy. And yet, Simon does the right thing. He listens to Jesus. Have a look at verse 5. Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Can you hear the frustration there? Hey, Jesus, we've been doing this all night, mate. But okay, because you say so, we'll go and do it. And can, I can just imagine Simon Peter and his mates on that fishing boat giving like kind of sarcastic glances like, oh, man, just think they know it all today. And yet he does it. And let's have a look at what happens. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Here is the most amazing catch of fish that they've ever had. You you know how when you go out fishing and uh, you kind of catch a fish that's that big and you tell your mates it was that big? You know, this this blows that out of the water. You could not exaggerate how many fish are coming into their boat, coming into their nets. So much so that boats are sinking because of the amount of fish. Here, here we see the power of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus. The, the, the power of Jesus that all creation is under his power. The knowledge of Jesus that he knew uh, that as soon as Simon Peter threw out these nets, this is going to happen. This shows you a sneak peek of of who Jesus really is. He's not just a carpenter. He's not just a great teacher. No, there's something supernatural about this Jesus. Something very God-like about this Jesus. See, this, this miracle shows that God is working in and through him supernaturally. But he still asked Peter to do something that was absolutely intuitive. Absolutely counterintuitive. I dare say if, if Simon Peter didn't hear Jesus or wasn't at the Cana miracle where he turned water into wine, he would have said, no, I'm going to sleep, but he does. He obeys Jesus even though it's radically counterintuitive. And can I just say, obedience to Jesus today, a lot of the time is radically counterintuitive. It's radically counterintuitive. Isn't it just a little bit counterintuitive getting up early so you can serve at church. It's counterintuitive, especially because all of our friends, they're in bed still. And I don't know about you, but on a Sunday morning, doesn't your bed just feel just a little bit warmer and nicer? It just feels a little bit more comfortable. And, and it's totally counterintuitive to get out of bed and come and serve God's people. It, it is counterintuitive to take a, a, a big percentage, maybe 10% of, of your hard-earned cash and give it away to Christian service. But Jesus asked you to do that if you follow him. It's counterintuitive to say to your family, whether it be your kids or your your wider family, hey, sorry, Sunday morning we're protecting. So if there's sport on Sunday morning, I know we want you to be the best sports man or woman, but we want you to know Jesus. 
And if there's a sport going to be happening on Sunday morning, I'm sorry, we're going to church. Because in a billion years' time, it doesn't matter if you win an Olympic medal, it matters if you knew Jesus. And so we're going to go and live out that. It's counterintuitive because we want to do what our kids want, want a lot of the time. We don't want to be seen as kind of Christian religious freaks. It's counterintuitive to tell a family who may not be Christians to say, hey, if you put something on on Sunday morning, guess what? We're not going to be there because we've got a priority that's higher than family. For some of us, it's very counterintuitive to say that. And yet Jesus says that's what we should be doing. It's counterintuitive not to have that second chat with a person at the office we're really, really attracted to. To walk away if it gets a bit flirty. It's counterintuitive not to, not to act on our desires a lot of the time. And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to do. To honour Him, in Him and trusting in Him and obeying Him, even though, even though it's counterintuitive. But why? See, the beautiful thing is this, that Jesus calls you to obey in counterintuitive ways, but He is the God who saved you in such a counterintuitive way. If it was up to you, would you have ever thought that the God of the universe would come to earth and die on the cross for your sin? No one would think that. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's the foolishness of the gospel. But he died for you in such a counterintuitive way. He showed you he loves you in such a counterintuitive way. He, he, he saved you from your own sin. He gave that all up for you. So therefore, when he asks you to do the hard thing, the counterintuitive thing, you can trust him, knowing that he has got your best interests at heart. He is not the God who says, hey, do something that's radically too hard. No, whatever he's asking you to do. Yes, it may be counterintuitive, but you could do it through his power, through the Spirit. But not only that, he's the God who, if you trust him, one day, all your obedience to him, even though right now it seems counterintuitive, will be worth it. The beautiful thing is, Simon Peter obeys Jesus and obeys his counterintuitive words. And Jesus comes through for Simon Peter. Guess what? If you obey Jesus, Jesus will come through to you. For you, sorry. One day, when you're with him, you'll look at those moments that you decided to obey him, even though it sounds, seems so counterintuitive, even though 99% of you were saying, hey, don't do it. And you'll say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Are you going to obey Jesus even though it is so counterintuitive sometimes? See, that's the great miracle that we've seen. But let's have a look at a great response. Before we have a look at the passage, imagine you're Simon Peter for a second. And, and Jesus has just done this amazing miracle, all these fish. This is the biggest catch that you've ever had, probably to, to the power of 10. What would you be saying to Jesus? Here's what I'd probably say. I'd probably say, hey, Jesus, um, thanks, mate. Uh, 9 a.m. tomorrow morning? Reckon you can come back and re- do a repeat miracle? I'd be just thinking dollar signs I would be, or denarii signs or whatever it is, right? But that's not what Simon does. Have a look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. He, he, he runs and falls at Jesus' knees. And he says, go away from me because I am sinful. And can I just say, first reading of that, we were just kind of, that's kind of hit the jackpot here. And you want Jesus to go away from you? See, in this miracle, Simon Peter has had a glimpse into who Jesus really is. That he's not just a carpenter or a great teacher, that he is God in the flesh. And he's responded accordingly. I remember as a kid watching a movie that I cannot remember the, the name of. So if you know what this movie is, please come and tell me because I've racked my brain. It's been annoying me all week. But it was, it was about these aliens or angels coming to earth and um, taking a bunch of um, older people with them to a place where there'd be no more pain or anything. It was kind of... Cocoon, was it? Okay, we'll say it's Cocoon. Okay, um, thank you, thank you. Uh, a- anyone want to finish the sermon? No, I'm joking. Okay, so it's Cocoon, right? And it, I hope it's the same, same movie because there was a bit at the end where these angels or aliens, they're, um, they're, they're just seen as people of light. And there's a conversation between one of the old, older people and uh, their grandchild. Uh, and I think that the, the grandchild says, oh, so what are you doing or, or what are you now? And he takes his eyelid down, you see a flash of light, which says that this, this man is no longer just a man, that he's one of these people of light, these, these aliens or whatever they are in, in Cocoon, right? Here in this miracle, Jesus has taken his eyelid down just that little bit. And what, what, what Simon Peter has seen is a holy God. It's not just a carpenter. Not just a great teacher, but a holy God. And, and when you and I are before a holy God, what, what do you do? What's the right response? The right response is the response of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6, or Simon Peter here, to realize that there is a huge gap morally to be totally and utterly undone. Peter here is absolutely and utterly undone because he realized he has encountered a holy God and therefore he is totally holy. He is not righteous. There there is nothing good in him when he compares himself to a God that is perfectly holy. Now some of you guys are going, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if, if I was Peter there, I would have reacted in the same way. Because I believe that Jesus was just all loving. In fact, he was the most loving person that ever walked this earth. And therefore, because he's so loving, you know, if I, if I really encountered him, I would just feel all warm and fuzzy and loved. Now, can I say there's so much I agree with you on. I agree that, that Jesus was loving. In fact, I think he was perfect love. But can I just say, if we who think we are loving encountered someone who is perfect love, wouldn't we find that our love is so tainted by our own selfishness and sin. And therefore, we will be repulsed, not by him, but our own unlovingness. So it's a bit like this. When I moved to, to Sydney in uh, 2004, I, I wanted to become a 
on guitars for a while and I did that. That was good. But I had this moment. I got off the, um, the train at, at Central and I was walking um, in the tunnel under Central and I had my... Uh, I think I had a Sony Discman there, so I was listening to some music. And then um, I heard some other music from one of the buskers down there. And it was guitar music. It was really, really good. So I took out my, my earphones and I started listening to this. And it was fantastic. In fact, it was better than me. And then I saw it was coming from this homeless guy who was playing probably the worst guitar I've ever seen. And this really he was making a sound better than I ever could. Now, at that moment, what do you think? Oh, well, it's really, really good that he can play better than me. I think we'll become friends. Oh, I think we should hang out more, and I, you know. No, I was totally undone because I have made my identity somewhat about being a guitarist. And here is a guy that can't even, you know, make a living from it, and he's better than me. I've known a number of, of models in this time, and what's really funny about models is that even though they are beautiful, they think they're ugly. Why? Because they encounter people who they can say, oh, that person's got better legs than me, or a better stomach, or, or better jawline, or something. And, and every time that you think, even though you're making, you're thinking of yourself as my identity is in my beauty, you encounter someone who's more beautiful than you, and you feel ugly. See, if you are a person, I hope you're a person who thinks that you're loving, and I trust that you are, but if you encountered someone who's perfectly loving like Jesus, you would be undone because you would see how much selfishness is in your love, and you'd be undone exactly like Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6. You'd be undone exactly like Peter is here because you've encountered perfect love, which shows the deficiencies in our character. And so responding to Peter, the way Simon Peter responded is the right way. Have you come before Jesus and admit, admitted your guilt? Have you, have you had a humbling experience to say, hey, I am so sinful, Jesus? I've got a number of friends who, are, who have been through or are in um, addiction programs, the 12 steps. And the first one of those steps is all about admitting things. Here's what it says. We admitted that we were powerless over our own, that our lives have become unbearable. That's the first. Step. And, and what, I, what I know is that if you're in one of these programs, you've got to admit that. And, and, and what, what everyone says in those programs, and I think they're right, unless you admit that, the whole program can't help you. Unless you say, I've blown it, I, I can't help myself. Well, the whole program can't help you because you don't have the humility to come under the community that is trying to help you. And unless you and I are willing to admit that we belong with Jesus, that, that, that we're, we're sinful and we can't save ourselves, well, we can't be in a right relationship with Jesus because Jesus doesn't come as your cosmic fixer-upper. Jesus doesn't come to you as your kind of like your personal coach. Jesus comes as your saviour who saves you from yourself and your sin. The one who died for you 
And the first step to knowing him is not glibly saying, oh yeah, I'll just trust in Jesus, I'll be saved by Jesus. The first step is to say, hey Jesus, I have blown it. I need your forgiveness. Is that you? Have you come to that point? Have you come to that point today? See, there is one thing to be a sinner tonight. It's another thing to know who you are before God and humbly bow before Him. Which one are you doing? Simon Peter responds to Jesus in the right way. Have you done that? And what Simon Peter found is that Jesus is a great Saviour and Lord. That's our last point. Let's have a look at the third point, our great Saviour and Lord. Have a look at how Jesus responds. In the second half of verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Jesus' response here is beautiful. It's full of grace. Don't fear. Do not fear. He is gracious towards Simon Peter here. That he is not just competent to preach, just not competent to catch fish, but competent to save, to save people like Simon Peter, to save people like you and me. See, the thing is, is in the business of saving humanity. And for the rest of the Gospels, in fact, the rest of the Bible, in fact, all of the Bible, you see that God is trying to save people like you and me, like Simon Peter. And the thing is, Jesus forgives you and dies for you willfully, and joyfully. So many of us think that Jesus actually forgives us under compulsion and we're, we're afraid that maybe Jesus' patience will, will give up one day and he'll just see our sin and go, I've just had enough. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't forgive you through, through clenched teeth. Just the other day I was at Woolworths and um, I was shopping for a few things, making sure that I was getting everything, the right things on Kate's list that she gave me because I always got to get the right things. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, I heard a mum say to her daughter, forgive your brother right now. And the, the daughter turned to her brother and goes, I forgive you. And I was like, oh, I don't think she really has, right? I think there's something else going on there, right? So many of us think that Jesus is forgiving us through clenched teeth. Like he looks at us and goes, oh, okay, I forgive you, fair enough. Like we twisted his arm enough. It's not Jesus. Jesus loves to forgive you. Jesus doesn't have his hand twisted behind his back in forgiveness, but his arm's out for you. James says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus went to the cross. So there is a sense in which when he saved you, even though it was so hard, it was joyful for him. He loves to forgive sinners. He loves to put broken people back together. When I was in more college, I, I heard a, um, a, a mum talking to her child. And the child said to, to the mum, Hey, mum, what does God do with all his time? And the mum said, he forgives broken people. That's what he does. 
That's what he does. Jesus is the one who loves to forgive you and forgive us all. And then he gives us a new job. This great job of fishing for people. See, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is that the disciples here will no longer catch live fish that will be dead in a few minutes, that will be sold to a market. Rather, he says you will, you will fish for people who are dead in their sin, who will become alive by my grace, who will go on to tell more people about me. That's your job if you follow Jesus. That's my job. So you, you may say you're a doctor or you're a, a lawyer or an accountant or whatever or you mow lawns or it doesn't matter. But Jesus is saying, yes, you do all that to make a living. But your main job is to glorify me by making disciples. That's what we want to do as a church. Jesus says, go and fish for men. We say we want to see a flood of people become Christians. The same thing. The same thing. And did you notice how Peter and everyone responded? Verse 11, so they pulled up their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. They are saying, guess what? We're leaving our old life behind. We're not going to be defined by what we did. We're going to be defined by you, Jesus, and the mission that you're on. It's now our mission. If you are a Christian, that's what you've said to Jesus. The mission of saving people that you're on. That's now we're part of that mission too. And we want to be a church that is part of that mission in seeing a flood of people become Christians, don't we? And I I just want to ask you, I wonder if you have heard the call of Jesus to be a fisher of people, a fisher of men and women, and have you responded? Have have you gone, okay, absolutely, this is what my life is on about now? Or, Or are there things holding you back? Are you going, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, well, my life, oh, yeah, Jesus, oh, you know, I think, that, I think you're right, but really your heart's not in it. Oh, oh yeah, Jesus, I know that people need to come to know you, but yeah, guess what? Uh, I've got all this other stuff that I'm doing that's, that's part of my life. Have you heard the call of Jesus and responded rightly? Have you given up everything to follow him? And are you doing that with your whole life? The great preacher Charles Simeon uh, mentored a man named Henry Martin while they were at Cambridge. Henry Martin ended up becoming a missionary. He went overseas to become uh, a missionary um, in Asia. And uh, Charles Simeon would pray for Henry Martin over and over again every day. And unfortunately, even though Henry Martin had a great ministry over in India and Persia, he passed away. And Charles Simeon heard about it and he got a, a painting, a portrait of Henry Martin, which he, which he put above his fireplace in his home. And when guests came over to Charles Simeon's place, he, he would say, there is Henry Martin. That blessed man, no one, no one looks at me as he does. He never takes his eye off me and seems to be always saying, the years are short Be serious. Be earnest. Don't trifle. Don't trifle. Jesus is saying to you and me, if you follow me today, the years are very short. Let's be serious about seeing a flood of people become Christians. 
Let's not, let's not waste our time in, in, in things that don't really matter. Let's be on about that. Let's be people who truly hear the call of Jesus and respond rightly. How about we pray? Oh, Father God, thank you so much for the way that you make it clear how we should respond. Lord, I pray for, for all of us that we would come before you admitting our brokenness, our need for you. Just like Simon Peter admitted that he is a man who, who is sinful, just like Isaiah admitted that he is a man of unclean lips. May we do the same. Lord, I, I pray as those of us who acknowledge that we would hear the gracious words of our Lord Jesus who loves to forgive, to forgive us. Lord, that we would hear your call to be fishers of people and joyfully, willfully, seriously, earnestly we would do that. We want to be a church that is not just kind of mucking around with you. We want to be a church that is earnest for you because of all that you have done for us. Because of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us, may we respond rightly to him in every area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.